We've been having a great time in our study in Colossians, and I've, I've been having a great time talking about people and, and just uh, people's lives, and we're all so different, and God has given us all different abilities, different gifts, different callings, and to hear the different people. Uh, have you guys been enjoying hearing the different people's stories? It's been awesome, I think. You, you enjoyed that? or? Um, just those you don't really know that today is Cinco de Mayo and in honor of Cinco de Mayo uh, I've asked uh, Mr. Justin Montoya to um, share he's half he's half Mexican and uh, I think he's going to probably start in with a, a hat dance or something like that probably I think Hello, testing? Okay, so I'm not going to do a hat dance. However, juggling, wait wait for the festival. But I, I do want to share my testimony with you as it relates to serving Christ. And my testimony can be organized into about five chapters. Okay, so chapter one. My radical conversion and hotshot Christianity. That's first. Two, disillusionment, leaving God and his people. Chapter three, a thousand days elsewhere, including feeding pigs on a farm. And if you don't know that reference, I'll get to it. And chapter four, being a doorkeeper in the house of God, submitting to God and the yoke of Christ and his people. And finally, the last chapter, which I hope, will be titled, Well Done, Thy Good and Faithful Servant. So I know what you're thinking. This is a book, but hopefully keep it short. So first, my radical conversion to Christ. Now, I, w I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't know my real father. I had a stepfather who was cruel at times. Um, my high school career was, you know, riddled with um, substance abuse, uh, pain, you know, just a lost existence. I looked kind of looked at the world around me and it just looked hopeless, lost, desperate. There was, I had a lot of depression, things just weren't working out too well. So kind of like my life verse or my salvation verse is Psalm 118.5. And that says, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. So when I was converted, it was very radical. Uh, it was very immediate and just powerful. I had true joy Suddenly, the drugs, the alcohol, God set me free. He took this person who was sort of depressed and sort of shy, introvert, and turned me into a Bible-toting evangelist in my school. People thought I was sort of crazy. My parents thought I was in a cult because I had this big black Bible toting around, preaching at everybody. It was just so radical, so intense, and, and, and it was a wonderful thing. You know, you could see... In my high school down the hallway, all, everyone's lockers, they would have, you know, hot rod cars and all these things in their lockers. Well, I had this verse, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. So naturally, I think, you know, G Jesus just became so real to me, it was so tangible, that naturally, when I got involved in the church, that's where the hotshot Christianity comes in. Um, a lot of well-meaning people put me in leadership positions, I was in charge of youth groups, had a lot of speaking engagements. Um, things were just going well. God poured out his great grace. I was a broken sinner saved by grace. I was desperate and lost. Now I'm found. I have meaning. I have purpose. I was helpless. Now God's power is working in my life. And I, I was only in high school, so I was very young. But I was put in a lot of these positions that maybe, like I said, well-meaning people put me into. And so... You know, I had this sense of there was no greater joy than serving God and being in ministry. And so I started uh, doing missions trips and, you know, leading groups, things like that. And so slowly this sort of pride started creeping in. Uh, and I sort of thinking it was something to do with me. And I sort of liked this attention. Um, so that sort of creeped in. But, but I was still serving God, you know, with his people. So then I went to Bible college, which I think was a great thing. And I got doctrine, you know, filled with some doctrine. So now I have the answers to everything, as well as God's power working in my life. And it sort of turned into this, you know, unteachable spirit sort of started creeping in. 
And that led to chapter 2. So this is titled Disillusionment, Leaving God and His People. So things were going great. Bible college was great. Graduated with serving God on staff. But, you know, there's this immediate sense when we get saved or when I got saved that God healed a lot of things. But there were other things that were a little deeper that took a little more time, a little more uh, shaping. And when this started happening, God started bringing up these deeper character flaws and he wanted to work on them. And I said, ouch, I don't like that. And, you know, the thing about ministry is it's filled with people. And that's the greatest thing about ministry. The worst thing about ministry is it's filled with people. <laughs> and the funny thing is God, was he was trying to use people in my life through ministry, the churches I was a part of, to, to make me into his image, to, to dig deeper and, and sort of address some of those deeper things and, and to heal. But I wouldn't submit to it. I didn't, I didn't like it. Like I said, it didn't feel good. So it led to a situation, and maybe all of us can relate in some way to this, in a church. I got the raw deal. People let me down. Christian leaders let me down. They weren't doing this and they weren't doing that. They did a little bit of this and a little bit of that, okay? And it, me? No, there's nothing. There was nothing wrong with me. I was I was fine. These these Christian leaders, they, you know, miscommunicated something, and I was hurt. And my feelings were hurt, and I and I left. And I I didn't want to submit to the things that were going on. And now, granted, there are situations of church abuse, and it wasn't anything like this. It was more about, you know, just these interpersonal things. It wasn't, you know, obviously there are cases when it's good to leave a church, but not in this one. So I left that church and that ministry thinking someone out there wants to hire this this hotshot Christian. You know, someone out there has has a has they're just going to you know, beat down my door. But doors didn't open. And this sort of, you know, and I still was a part of church, but these seeds of discontentment turned into seedlings of rebellion, which bloomed into fields of darkness in my life and this bitterness started to grow and this bitterness towards God and his people and I thought if God and his people are like this then I don't I don't want anything to do with it and so I started being started distancing myself from God's people and I didn't think I needed church and I wasn't plugging in so this led to chapter three a thousand days elsewhere including feeding pigs on a farm and if you are not familiar, Psalm 84.10 says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. And I had to learn that the hard way. So I spent, I don't know if it was actually a thousand days elsewhere, but it seems like it. I spent a lot of time away from God's people. I, I left ministry. I left the church. And the feeding pigs on a farm, that's, that's a reference to the prodigal son. He took the inheritance, spent it all, and then found himself feeding pigs on a farm to to make ends meet uh, to survive and live. And he said, well, uh, he, he said he learned his lesson. The prodigal son came back because he realized that was an awful experience. Um, I did too eventually. But that experience left me not in service, not in church. So no church, no fellowship led to no standard of living, no blessing, no protection, and really no life because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so this death was this torment, which was worse than the first torment because I knew I'd tasted and seen the goodness of God, and now I'm, I'm turning my back. So, so that went on for quite some time, but there was still this dull light that was there, but I had a seared conscience, and I was running, just running, running. I could always run. I was really a good, good runner. I could run away from a lot of things. If things didn't work out too well, just run, go to the next thing. That didn't work out, the next thing. But God can run faster. And his love is stronger than my frustrated efforts in many ways to sabotage my own Christian life, my own walk, my own ministry. And God is a jealous God. His Holy Ghost hounds will track you down. He'll track down his children, and he did. He found me. It reminds me of a story this week. Our neighbor's dog. Okay, now I have three small children under five. So we're walking in my backyard, our backyard going to check out a bird's nest. So we're walking in the yard, and suddenly the neighbor's dog comes charging over our boundary, our, uh, what do you call it, our property line, comes charging over, barking ferociously at one of my kids. My back was turned, 
And in about a split second, you should have heard the primal blood-curdling yell that came out of my mouth. I didn't have to think about it. It was just I turned and yelled, and that that five-inch tall chihuahua stopped dead in his tracks <laughs> and turned right around and went home. But that's kind of like God. He will not. He <laughs> Yeah, he's scared of me. So God, he he came after me, and he'll come after us. He, he loves us, and um, it's kind of like that. God, God stepped into my life and used pain and suffering to sort of get me where he needed me. Uh, but I, it seems like along the way, serving God, I had forgotten some simple truths. I had forgotten his love and his protection, which comes through submitting to him. In the beginning, that was easy, but as time went on, I sort of thought there was something about me. So there's no... I forgot there's no better place than his love. I got caught up in ministry and kind of like myself and and looking at other people, looking at myself, and lost sight of how good God really is. He's a good God. Serving him is good. So he saved me. He died for me. He loves me. And my service is just a response to this great love. It's simple. I kind of complicated things, I think, a little bit. So in finding me, God, he broke me. He stripped me of my good reputation because I didn't have one anymore. My Christian resume didn't look so good. But he showed me who I really was, a sinner saved by grace. It's that, it's that simple. And he used, like I said, he used people in the world to harm me in such a way that I could say with the psalmist, better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. I'd rather, and this leads to chapter 4 in my testimony here, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So there's a point in my life where God, he, sorry, he, he brought me back and showed me that, you know, there, there's a lot of these high-profile jobs and positions in, in churches, and we kind of look at one another maybe, and What's he doing? Well, you, you work up the ladder, and then someday you're a pastor, and that's, that's what it's all about. And I was kind of had that selfish ambition. But God was showing me that there's a lot of, there, there's, there's humility. You need to be humble. You need to submit to God and his people. And I learned that the hard way. And I'm kind of in this chapter right now. So this is going on about seven years. And one of the big lessons I had to learn was that there's freedom, there's safety, and blessing and being in the fold of God's sheep and submitting to his people and to him. And he'll keep us safe. And the blessings I've experienced since then, uh, God has put me in a wonderful family. I have a wonderful family, friends that love me. It's not so among the wicked out in the world. And some of you know this. I've tried many of those things, and there are a lot of things people get together about. But nothing is like serving God together. There's just nothing like it. I've also learned that there's many ways to serve him. Like I said, not just these high-profile positions. Being a door, doorkeeper, it just makes me think of the little jobs, the little jobs that we can do for God, for Him. And that's kind of where I'm at now and what I want to do. Uh, so there's nothing like serving God and His people. Is it easy? No, because I'm a person. You're people. We're people. We sort of, brother and sister sandpaper, rub each other the wrong way, but that's the very thing God uses to make us into his image. And and what I wasn't submitting to, now I sort of understand. So when those things happen, my feelings are hurt or whatever, I sort of maybe have a little bit better perspective. It's not going to be perfect. And I need to see Christ in serving. I can't look at people. It's ultimately that I'm serving Christ, and I hope leading to the next chapter, which I hope is my epilogue, which is titled, Well Done, Thy Good and Faithful Servant. I hope that is the title of my next chapter. Ultimately, I want to hear those words, uh, even if it means just faith, faithfully serving as a doorkeeper. If that's God's position, that's his role for me, I'm happy with that. So hopefully that story will encourage you uh, in some way. So thank you. Let's open up to Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4.
Justin is uh, leading our, our children's ministry. And uh, one little thing I want to add to that, uh, those of you that don't, aren't aware, he, he, uh, he was uh, wanting to marry my daughter. And uh, I said, I don't think so. Because I kind of knew some of that story, right? And I said, I don't think so. But, you know, God, he was persevering and, and he was truly following after God and he really got that idea that you got you to be really serious and do what God's called you to do. And so at some point, uh, I said, okay. So I'm related to Justin now. Um, Colossians chapter 4, we've been looking, we looked last time at Onesimus who had a changed life. He became a servant of God. He had a changed life. He was no longer a slave to sin. And then we looked at Aristarchus, this incredible guy who we may not remember these, these people's names. But Aristarchus, he was with Paul through thick and thin. When things got tough, Aristarchus was right there with him. He always seemed to be there when the, when the going got tough. And these are the rare and beautiful treasures that we talk about in in Proverbs chapter 24, each, each one of us, each one of you, each one of these people that Paul were talking about. I want to ask you today, do any of you ever make mistakes? No? Uh, how about this? Any of you ever go in the wrong direction? No. Any, any of you, listen to this one. Any of you ever quit when you shouldn't quit? Any of you ever done that before? What if I were to tell you that there's still hope for you? That you can still accomplish God's will in your life? That you can. That God gives second chances and third chances and fourth chances and on and on and on. God is the God of grace. And Justin was a, a you know, kind of worked out for him to share his story in, in conjunction with this story here. That God's not through with you or me. Look at chapter 4, verse 10, the second half. It says, uh, well, let's read from the beginning. My fellow Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, we're going to look at Mark's story today, but, but we have to kind of go back and we'll come back to this verse and kind of how this all fits together. But I want you to turn with me first. Because the story really starts, as he mentions here, the cousin. That Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Okay, so let's go back to the book of Acts. We're going to look at a bunch of verses over there because it, it, it really is a life story of first Barnabas and then of his cousin Mark. And so we'll go th quickly through these verses. Uh, chapter 4, verse 36 and 37 it says there's a man named Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called, called what? Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And he sold a field he owned and he, bought, he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. So this is the first time we hear about Barnabas. And that wasn't his real name, but the apostles called him that. Why? Because he was a man of encouragement. This guy had the gift of encouragement. He could encourage people. He could spur them on, so to speak. Now jump ahead to Acts chapter 9. We see him again. Acts chapter 9, verse 27. <clears throat> Paul the Apostle, uh, in the earlier part of chapter 9, Paul the Apostle met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. His life was completely turned around. But Paul the Apostle, before he was Paul the Apostle, he was, he was Saul, the uh, guy who went around having Christians put in prison, having them killed. And, and so nobody, none of the Christians really wanted to have anything to do with this guy. Understandably so, right? I mean, why would you want to go have lunch with Saul? Because you might not, you, you know... Be free the rest of the lot, your life. You might, your life might be over soon. And so Barnabas has heard about what's happened to Saul, Paul. And look at verse 27. It says that he, Barnabas, took him and he brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord 
and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas, now the son of encouragement, he takes Saul and he brings him to the apostles. It's almost something you would expect from Barnabas because he's the son of encouragement. That's his thing. He just, he just encourages people. And, and he saw that Saul, Paul, had a hard time he, and people were not going to accept him. He says, listen, I'm going to bring you in there. They trust me. They, they know me. I'm going to bring you in. He put himself on the line to bring Paul in. Fast forward to chapter 11, Acts chapter 11 and verse 20. That, that, by the way, worked out pretty good. They began to accept uh, Paul, Saul. His name was changed to Paul later on. Acts chapter 11, verse 20. Uh, some of them, uh, you know, men, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch. People were starting to spread out. Christians were being spread out for lots of different ways and means. Some uh, through persecution. God even uses persecution and and I have to say that our country, as Christians, we are starting to face some persecution in different ways. And I believe that it's going to get worse. But God will use it. And God did use it in the life of the church, the early church. And so certain men went and they ended up in Antioch, right? This place called Antioch, a city. A north, uh, the northern part of, uh, of what we call Israel. And it says they began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad, and of course, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So Barnabas now, there, there's like a revival kind of thing happening down in Antioch, or up in Antioch, the city of Antioch. And they send Barnabas down there. They figure this is the right guy for the ministry there. So Barnabas goes, all kinds of good stuff is happening. But Barnabas doesn't just leave it at that, right? You say, well, I thought we were talking about Mark today. Well, we are, but, but Mark's story is very clearly related to Barnabas' story, and, and how people are related to one another is important. Verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for who? For Saul. He already brought him to the apostles. He already stood up for him and said, Listen, this is a good guy. Give him another chance. He, you know, I know he used to be like that, but he's like this now. So he stands up for him, Barnabas, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And he goes down and he, and, he, and he goes to Tarsus, Saul's hometown. And he looks for him. It says, verse 26, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It's an incredible thing was happening there. Paul go, uh, Saul go, Barnabas goes and gets Saul and brings him back there. He could have just said, man, this is really cool. I'm just really, you know, I'm the big, I'm the man here. But he says, no, I need some help. And he wasn't afraid to go and find this guy Saul and bring him there. And they work together, teaching. It says they taught great numbers of people. And teaching people to be disciples, like Jesus said, that we're to be taught and to become disciples. And it's at this place that disciples were called Christians first. So, what's next after that? You say, well, that's, isn't that cool? Let's go ahead and just retire now because that's all we need to do. It was, it was good. But... Barnabas and Saul, and, and you, you kind of hear that order happening, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, but later on it changes, it kind of flops around, and it's Saul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas. We'll get to that in a minute. Look at the uh, verses 29 and 30 in chapter 11, Acts. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to, sit, to provide help 
for the brothers living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So now they're sending aid back to the needy church in Judea. They're working it out. They're doing that together. Chapter 12, now jump ahead to verse 25 in chapter 12. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So they'd gone down to Jerusalem, bringing these gifts, bringing these help that they they could bring. And while they're there now, and we know already that Barnabas and Mark are cousins, right? And so they take with them from Jerusalem this guy named John called Mark. Chapter 13, verse 1, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, The Holy Spirit is saying this, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, so they they went back to Antioch. You know, Jerusalem was a pretty happening place too, but but Antioch is now like a really happening place. And and the Holy Spirit says, listen, I, you know, I, I want you to set apart these two guys, Barnabas and Saul, to go out and do what I ask them to do, what I want them to do. And this is the beginning of the first missionary, what, what's called the first missionary journey, right? The first missionary journey of Paul. It's of Paul, but it really starts out of Barnabas and Saul. So, They go out, they place their hands on them, they fast, they pray, place their hands on them, they sent them off, right? They go on this trip. Now jump down and and, and excellent things are happening. It's not an easy time and nothing is very easy. But God is blessing it. God is doing incredible things. But here, now jump down to verse 13. This is where it begins to, to get interesting. Well, it's already interesting. But here's where it kind of takes a turn, a twist. From Paphos, Paul and his companions, Paul, he's called Paul now, and he's also seems to be the one in charge. Paul and his companions, they sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. John left them. He, he left them to return to Jerusalem, which is where he is from, his hometown, On the first missionary journey, they take Mark along with them, John Mark, but midstream, in the middle, it says that he left and he quit. He went home. End of Mark, right? End of story, right? Wrong. But let's ask the question, why did he go home? Why did he quit? He needed a root canal? Why did he quit? There's lots of reasons people think that maybe he went home because he was just homesick. Maybe he was fearful. He he had a lot of fear. Maybe he just was afraid and fear just kind of got a hold of him. Maybe some have suggested that maybe it's because now Paul is kind of in charge instead of his cousin Barnabas. I don't know if I like that. We heard a little bit about that in the story, right? A little bit of a, I don't know, I like what the leaders decided. Things are changing. Things change. I don't like change. Any of you ever say that? No. You, you, you're doing that differently today? What? Or maybe, just maybe, maybe Mark, John Mark, was just young. Maybe he was just young. He was just immature. He didn't have a lot of experience yet. Now home, he, so he, he went home, he quit, he just went home. Now home was not a bad place, I want to say to you, because I want you to look back in Acts chapter 12 real quick. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. Before this happens, just to tell you a little bit about what home was like, home was not a bad place. When this had dawned on him, he went to, this is speaking about Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered 
and were praying. So it's a godly home that he went back to. He wasn't going back to the world. He was going back and, and uh, you know, maybe he shows up at the door because he, you know, he didn't you know, call home and say, Mom, I'm coming home. Have my you know, bed ready for me. You know, because kids do that. They go out and then they come back. You know, that's just the way it is. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I'll tell you the story some other time. So he goes back. Mom says, what you doing here? And maybe they were having a prayer meeting. Seems like that's what they like to do. They had a lot of prayer happening back there. Not a bad place if you're going to go home. Not a bad place to go where, the, where, the, where they have prayer. Makes me think for a minute here that our houses should be houses of prayer as well. That when, when they do come back and when do, people do come to our home, they, they're going to find it's a godly place. It's a place where prayer is happening. So Mark's back home now, eating mom's good cooking, just having, you know, whatever happens back there in Jerusalem. And again, Jerusalem was a pretty incredible place too. But God had put a call and, and he had joined up with these guys, but he ended up going home. Let's jump ahead now, chapter 14, verse 26. Later on, they had gone out on this... Uh, missionary journey it, it went very very well you can read all the chapters in between chapters 13 and 14 in verse 26 it says from Italia they sailed back to Antioch they're going back now on the first missionary journey to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed and on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So they went back and they said, man, God just did incredible stuff. And it was so exciting. And now we're going to retire. No. No time for that. No time for retirement, Paul. Barnabas. You and me. Until we go home, and our home is in heaven, he's got a plan and a purpose for each one of us that we need to fulfill. We need to be faithful and do what he's called us to do. Jump ahead, Acts chapter 15, verse 35. Paul and Barnabas, notice the order now. Name change from Saul to Paul, also the order. Paul and Barnabas, they remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. They could have just stayed there. It's really cool to stay here. Things are happening here. But sometime later, verse 36, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Paul had this heart to go back and follow up, like see how they're doing and, and help them, encourage them. Barnabas was a great guy to bring along, right, to encourage them. And they had they had, had a great time together. They were a great team. They worked together well. Everything was just starting to happen for them. But verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called who? Mark, with them. Sure, why not? Barnabas, it's his cousin. I want to bring my cousin along again. But... Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued them with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left committed by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. End of story, right? Thank God it's never the end of the story where God's concerned. There's so much more to come in this story. So much more that God wanted to do. But looking at what happened there, Barnabas wanted to take Mark. Paul didn't think it was a good idea. He said, no, this guy, we can't depend on him. He quit. He quit when, when things got rough. And, and we, we already talked about Aristarchus. He was a different kind of guy. When things got difficult, he was right there. He wasn't going anywhere. In fact, he seemed to be a magnet for those times. But Mark, on the other hand, in this particular situation, when things got difficult, he went home. Let me say that one more time. When things got difficult, he went home. How many of you, how many of us, 
Have you either thought about it or actually done it? When things got difficult, we went home. I'm all done here. It's a serious thing. They had this sharp disagreement and they parted company. They split up. Paul and Barnabas, who had such an incredible thing going on. And again, I already shared with you all the history of Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas bringing him to the apostles. Barnabas bringing him to Antioch. Kind of helped him actually get started. And now they have this sharp disagreement. Sometimes that this happens, does it not? Is it always bad? Some questions you might say, well, was, was Paul harsh? Was Paul wrong? Or did Paul's actions serve a purpose to spur Mark on to become a stronger servant? You see, Paul, he was very, very serious about his mission. And he wanted people that he could depend on. And, and if you look at it from that angle, you could say, well, I understand. Hey, this is not, you know, tiddlywinks. How many of you remember that game? Some of you guys like never heard of that. This is not just a game. This is real. This is spiritual, spiritual warfare. This is battle. This is the, the work of God. And I want people that I can depend on, Paul was, was saying. But now looking at this on the bright side, you've got to look at everything on the bright side. Now, there are two teams that went out. Right? They both went out and they both did something and they both went out. Two teams now. That's cool, I think. Double the outreach. So I say, I say that God works through these kinds of things. God even works through disagreement. God can work through all these different things that happen. Our failings, our, our faults, our, our failures. And Barnabas now, he takes Mark and he uses his gift to encourage him in his growth. You wouldn't expect anything different from this guy Barnabas, right? He wasn't going to say, listen... Barnabas said, listen, I, I see a need here. This guy, Mark, there's some potential there, even though he did blow it, even though he did quit. He was, you know, not dependable. But Barnabas saw something that perhaps Paul did not see or, or, or Paul wasn't, uh, you know, understanding. The truth of the matter is that, that Barnabas' encouragement of John Mark was successful. It was successful. It worked. As we'll see, let's turn back to Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. As I told you, we would get back there as we come to wrapping this whole scenario up here. He says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. That's a very different story from what we read previously, right? I don't want that guy with me. Can't depend on him. And now, where's Mark? He's with Paul. And Paul is locked up. He's right there with him. And he's telling these people, listen, doesn't matter what happened before. He doesn't bring that up, but maybe some of them knew. But he says, listen, if Mark comes to you, welcome him. This guy is, this guy has got it. This guy is, he's incredible. He can help you. Another interesting thing about this whole scenario is that Mark is later linked with Peter. Right? He would have, if this had not happened, he would have probably stayed connected some way, somehow, with Paul and Barnabas or whatever. But after this all happens, Mark is, is linked with Peter now. And I think that that probably was part of God's plan. But we see here, we'll get to that in a minute, we see here that this is a huge turnaround for Paul, right? Huge turnaround. One man said this, what factors or agencies did the Holy Spirit use in bringing about this favorable change? He said, in all probability, one or more of the following. Number one, the kindly tutelage of Barnabas, right? Number two, 
and you may or may not agree with this, the stern discipline of Paul. Sometimes it takes somebody to say, listen, no. You know, you read the book of Proverbs and there are so many passages in there about, you know, receiving correction, about giving correction for those that will receive it and learning from it. I can think of people in my life that said, what are you doing? Giving me a good kick in the rear to get it together. And it makes a difference. I remember one man doing it. I remember my father doing it to me. And And thirdly, the influence of Peter. So we we have Barnabas, we have Paul. And he says, the influence of Peter who calls Mark my son. In 1 Peter 5.13 he says, Mark my son. Isn't it interesting? Can you think back in your own life, different people who have affected your life and had, a, had an impact? It wasn't just one person. God uses lots of different people to be that sandpaper that Justin was talking about. Peter. The influence of Peter in the life of John Mark. He calls him my son. They develop this relationship. He, he takes him on like a son. And this writer uh, says these words. He says, Peter knew by experience that there was hope for those who had fallen into the sins of disloyalty and cowardice. Who better but Peter that, uh, you know, who denied the Lord, you know, Peter who done all these weird kinds of things. Who better than Peter to take this young John Mark and kind of said, listen, man, that's not the end for you. It certainly wasn't the end for me because of what Jesus has done and what God can do with you and what God has done already with me. Let's put that behind us. And Paul says in Philippians, you know, forgetting what's behind, reaching forward to what is ahead. He goes on to say, the Holy Spirit may well have used all three factors and others to perform his marvelous work in the mind and conscience of quote-unquote, the man who came back. Mark, the man who came back. I like that. So Mark had learned and Mark had grown and things were different now. Mark had matured. God was using him. And though he had quit, it wasn't all over. God wasn't done with him. And as I asked these questions in the beginning, how many of you have had this kind of situation and, and so many of you raised hand, well, God isn't done with you or me. He is the God of second and third and fourth chances. He is. Later, when at the end of Paul's life, he knew he was going to be killed, martyred for his faith. In the book of 2 Timothy, he writes, only Luke, only Luke is with me. He said, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. One other man said Mark's failure was not final. And the truth is we, we learn, don't we, sometimes through failure. We learn a lot. We learn a lot. And that doesn't mean we go out and fail so we can learn. That's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? This guy Mark now, who quit, who went back home. His mother probably had a few words for him. But God had a lot of words for him. God worked in his life. Incredible. This guy, Mark, is the writer of what? The second gospel, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's incredible. This guy who quit is now one of the gospel writers who gives us this incredible gospel. And Mark, they're all incredible, but Mark is an incredible uh, book to read. there's There's something in the gospel of Mark about the urgency in this intensity in the gospel of mark and and they and many believe because he's giving us the perspective of paul and he spent now all these years with paul and and as he writes he's given us the perspective of excuse me not paul of peter right you have matthew who was there you have mark who is giving us peter's perspective you have luke who is giving us many believe the perspective from Paul and others, and then John, who was there as well. God gives us an incredible picture, right? Mark.
I want you to know God gives you and I second chances. I want you to know he's given me a lot of chances. In fact, my middle name is Mark. Seriously, really, it is. I didn't think about how this fits, but it fits here. My middle name is Mark. He's given me so many chances. I want to finish with a story, and we're going to have communion together. A story about from 1929, there was a New Year's Day football game and and Georgia Tech and uh, University of California in the Rose Bowl. And they were playing, and there was a guy, and he recovered a fumble. His name was Roy Regals. How many of you know this story? Any of you? He, he, he picked up the fumble, but he, somehow he got disoriented, got confused, and he started running the wrong direction, right? But one of his teammates, he ran after him, and he stopped him finally 65 yards later, just before he scored for the other team, right? And so, anyways, that's part of the story, and there's more to the story, but, but I'll just condense it for you. So, so, you know, they go into the locker room. That's in the first half. They go into the locker room, and everybody's wondering, you know, what is the coach going to do now with this guy? And they go into the locker room, and, and you know, it was very quiet in there, and it says that Roy Regals, he put his blanket around his shoulders, and he sat down in a corner, he put his face in his hands, and he cried like a baby. He was so humiliated, so ashamed of himself. And the coach is kind of quiet. He's trying to decide what to do. And finally, the time is almost up, and he, he, he looks at the team, and he says, man, the, the same team that played the first half will start the second half. And so they all got up and went out, but Regals, he didn't move. He, he stayed there. And the coach looked back, and he called him, and he, and he still didn't move, but he went over to where he was, and he says, Roy, didn't you hear me? And he repeats it. The same team that played the first half will start the second. And he looks up at the coach, and he says, I can't do it, coach, to save my life. I've ruined you. I've ruined the university of California. I've ruined myself. I, I couldn't face that crowd in the stadium to save my life. And then Coach Price reached out, put his hand on his shoulder and said to him, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. And that's what he says to you and me. Get up and go on back. The game is only half over. That's our God. That's the God of grace, isn't it? Let's pray together, shall we, before we have communion. Our, our great and glorious, awesome God, we thank you that you love us and you know us. You know, as the psalmist wrote, uh, that we're just but dust, dirt. But yet you use us. You have a plan for us, a purpose for us. Uh, you want to include us in reaching the world. And Father, as so many of us, we have made so many mistakes and, and, and yet by your grace, you, you have told us that same message. Get up and go on out there because the game's only half over. It's, not, it's too early to quit. It's too soon to stop. And we're not retiring. We're not giving up. We thank you, Lord, that you worked in the life of this young man, John Mark, and, and now we can read the words that he wrote in the Gospel of Mark. We can read what Paul wrote about him, that he's profitable for me, useful for me in the ministry. You're the God who restores. Lord, we thank you for how you do that in our lives. We thank you for Justin's life, how you restored him and you're using him now. Father, I just want to pray here for any here this morning, Lord, who maybe are just feeling that shame, discouragement, defeat. Maybe if that's you today, you, you want to just come before the Lord and, and I want you to know that he has a plan and purpose and he is not done with you. He is not done with me no matter what. And we'll grow, and you'll grow, and you'll learn. But the only way up is down for you and I to submit and humble ourselves before the Almighty God. 
and he will lift us up in due time. So just humble yourself before him now. That's the, that's the way. That's the only way. Fess up. Just get right, like the prodigal. He said, listen, I've had enough of this. I'm going back. And the father was watching, watching, watching the road. And when he saw him, he ran to meet him and grabbed him about the neck. Father, thank you that you're the God of grace. We pray now as well for this communion that we will partake right now. And, and we thank you for the cross. The cross is what made it all possible. The cross is what gave us the power, the forgiveness of the cross, the forgiveness of the blood that was shed. It gives us the ability to get up and go on again because it's been paid for. And there's new life in the resurrection that's been given to us, each one of us. And maybe there's some here today who have never received the, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and you want a brand new life. And as Justin shared, it, it turned your life around. God will turn your life around. And you might have hiccups along the way, yes, but God loves you and God gave his life for you. His son died for you. And all you need to do is simply surrender and say, Jesus, I am lost and I want to receive you. I believe in the cross, that you died for my sins, that you were buried, that you rose from the dead. And I believe and I receive you today, here, May 5th, 2013. Father, hear the cries of your people, of these people here today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.